Uh, there, there's a figure with really cool looking wings at, at, on Fan Yang's Glory of Azur. Let's see. Is oh, that that's one Sigmar. Of... That's why. Okay. That's why I don't recognize any of that. Yeah. The, the, the wing action they've got going on in Age of Sigmar is pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. They don't skip wing day. I'm fine with that. I mean, my favorite blood. I mean, one time I wanted to play Blood Angels just so I could do Sanguinary Guard. I mean, because I want the wings. Yeah. And that's the other thing I wanted to do is I love sisters because I love their jetpacks because their jetpacks were wings. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that's got a lot to cover today. I'm your host, Rob. Dennis. And Richard. Uh, no Kevin today. Kevin is recovering from a cold and has, like, no voice right now, so it would be of limited use to have him actually talking on the mic. So we're going to give him a day to rest. But we are going to carry on without him. And uh, as I said, we've got a lot to cover today because there has been so much released in the last two, two and a half weeks since we recorded that um, we're just going to go ahead and get right into it. Uh, this is a news and new releases episode. There's a lot to discuss. And uh, the first things we're going to discuss is we had, there was the the U.S. Open Finals uh, this past, uh, or yeah, it was last weekend, wasn't it? Uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving. Weekend so before week Thanksgiving. And a half. Okay, so two weeks ago, effectively. Yeah. Somewhere around there. I'm bad at time. Time doesn't really okay. exist for me anymore, but we'll go with it. Um, so <clears throat> there were, you know, obviously there were a couple of big things going on. We had the um, finals for the U.S. Open competitive events, which, let's see, bring those up. Because I know Goonhammer has the results, so I'm just going to... Because they actually... It was interesting how they did it, because they had two different competitive tracks, because there was the competitive track for best generals, so just people who won the most games at their US Open, and the competitive track for best overall. Which I like that, because those are kind of two different things in a way. Because best overall obviously takes uh, the hobby into account yeah. as well. Um it was uh, the final for the best general track uh, was John Lennon with his Adeptus Sororitas doing a, a Bloody Rose army with, I mean, this army is like very similar to something I would want to run. Canonus, Morven Vol, two sister squads, an Avitiate squad, a Dogmata, three units of Paragon Warsuits. <laughs> two units of Repentia, two, a Seraphim Zephyrim, a unit of four Mortifiers, and an Immolator. Just very much an in-your-face, aggressive um, Sisters Army versus Orcs with triple kill rigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like triple kill rigs. Uh, so it's like half part Goths, part uh, Snake Bites. Uh, Knob on Smash a Squig, Beast Boss on Squigasaur, Zagstruck, Weird Boy... Uh, three units of tense beast snagaboys, a unit of Gretchen, three units of commandos, 
uh, three units of Squig Hog Boys, three Kill Rigs, Mozrog Scragbad, and another 10 Gretchen. And it sounds like a lot of models. Yeah. So game one was an Adeptus Sororitas victory, 85 to 82. Game two was an Orc victory, 77 to 76. Wow. Which reminds me of the finals game from the U.S. Open and KC, because that one also right. came down to one point, if I remember right. Yep. Between Blood Angels and Thousand Sons. And then uh, the best final, or the best overall final, was James Kelling uh, from Boone from Goonhammer playing Craft Worlds with uh, Seer Council. See, two Seer Councils, one on foot, one on jet bikes. Uh, Baharoth, Eldrad, Farseer, three units of Rangers, Howling Banshees, Striking Scorpions, Wraith Guard with six Wraith Guard with D Scythes, hmm. um, Shroud Runners, Swooping Hawks, Warp Spiders. I mean, this is a little bit of everything. Support can uh, D weapon or D cannon support weapons and a Bright so Lance good. Wave Serpent versus Andrew Gagno and his Tau, huh. which we've seen that art. We've seen that army at U.S. Open. It looked beautiful. Oh my. Two Cold Star Commanders, Breacher's Team, two Riptides, two Sun Sharks, a Devilfish, and the Soulfar Side Enclaves. And then a commander, another Cold Star Commander, two units of Carnivores, two units of Crute Hounds, and a third Riptide. And uh, Game 1 was Craft Worlds 9040. And Game oh. 2, Craft Worlds 6562. So Eldar pulled it out ahead of Tau, beat Ganyo. So. Impressive. Yeah, so that that happened. Um, we also got uh, the Warhammer preview, the online preview for things that are coming up uh, in the in the near future. And there were a couple things. One of which is we're going to cover with probably a le- little less time than we normally would because Kevin's not here, and Kevin is our world eaters guy. And so we're only we we can only briefly touch on it. We'll get his feedback when he's back, hopefully on the next episode. Uh, but they did reveal a few things. They revealed the eight bound, which are what happens if you take a world eater and you strap eight demons to him? Because that's basically what these guys are. They're, I mean, they're all like, there's no guns on these guys, obviously. They're world eaters, like double chain weapons all around. And they're just, just big and, and meaty and aggressive. And then there's the exalted eight bound which show way more demonic possession coming through. So turns out if you strap eight demons to somebody, sometimes they can't hold it together. Go fig. I mean, the models look cool. So Rob, how would it be between the eight bound and the eight from Tau? Um, hmm. If the eight bound get to you, <laughs> then the eight are in trouble. Okay. <laughs> but if you can shoot the eight bound off the table before they get to you, then maybe not so much. Of course, we haven't seen any rules for these. We have just seen the models. But, I mean, they are, they look like what you would expect from a uh, from a corn heavy assault unit. And then we've got jackals, which are basically cornite cultists, which, again, a whole lot of close combat weapons, nothing really in the way of guns, just cultists with like blood tanks on their back which if i remember right they the uh the blood in their tanks from what i'm because i watched the preview i think the blood on their tanks is supposed to actually be like spiked with world eaters blood so they're getting like cornate infused blood (laughs) like fed directly into them so they're just 
I mean, they're just muscular and crazy, and uh, I mean, they look like Cornate Cultist Kevin. It looks like something Kevin would kit bash out of like Age of Sigmar models. <laughs> I mean, it really does. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th- that's good p- praise. I mean, yeah. And then we have a the Lord on Juggernaut, which we had seen like the other Lord, the named Lord that they had with the uh, chain chain sword horn on his Juggernaut. This is the uh, more generic version of that. If you don't, because that that Lord is actually a named character, this one is not. And they showed off what the cover of the Codex looks like. We can, we don't have any rules for any of this, although there was a. There was a page that was supposedly leaked. We, I think we mentioned this in our last episode of potential world leaders points values. And the, that came out before these previews came out. And so far, the models, the units that they are pre, previewing showed up on that list, which may point to the accuracy of that leak. But also, if it still feels weird because there's a few things that are noticeably absent from that leak list that you would think an army would have like Karn. No, no Karn's on that list. <laughs> I better be. <laughs> what had leaked had units for and again, this is a leak, we cannot confirm this. It is set up in the page layout of the book, although I got to say the fact that this is supposedly on page 88 is a little too on the nose. For corn, <laughs> but yeah, it's like the the leaders are like Karn the Betrayer, named character, Lord Invocatus, named character, a World Eater's Demon Prince, World Eater's Lord on Juggernaut, World Eater's Master of Executions. There's no World Eater's Lord on foot or in Terminator armor, which that seems weird because they just released a Terminator armor Corn Lord as their Warhammer plus 40 K model. So it seems well, weird that that wouldn't even be an option. Is this a, f- going to be a full book or is this a supplement? And this is a full have- book. This is, okay. this is a full book along the lines of death guard and thousand sons. It's got the exalted or eight bound and exalted eight bound. It's got hell brutes, world leader terminators, um, which it's also interesting that they don't unlike the other God specific Marine codexes, the Terminators don't have a separate name. Cause like you've got Scarab Occult Terminators in Thousand Suns, and you have uh like Death Shroud and Blight Lord Terminators for Death Guard. It seems weird that you just have World Eaters Terminator Squad. So there's just there's just a few things here that seem kind of off, if that makes sense. Like totally there's sh- there should be more here. Um, also, Angron only coming in at 360 points seems a bit low. Oh, don't worry. They'll, they'll raise him before the codex comes out. Well, supposedly this is, <laughs> this is a, well, yeah, with an FAQ. I mean, it's, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, supposedly this is pretty, but it's like, there's just enough missing here that it's like, it doesn't feel right. But the fact that the, uh, the troops are, that are listed, like the jackals spelled the same way. It wasn't J on this leak. It's not J A C K. A-L, it's G-A, or J-A-K-H-A-L, which is how the leak spelled it, or not the leak, how the reveal spelled it. So it's it le- lends towards the idea that that's authentic, but it still just feels off. But we won't know until this book comes out, which is not going to come out until January. So 
January, we'll get to see what's actually going on with World Eaters. But uh, for right now, this is what we've been shown. The models look cool. We have no idea how they're going to play other than very aggressively because mm. World Eaters. And we'll see what's going on with that. Um, other things that were previewed, they discussed the first three Arcs of Omen books, which are getting into the the new storyline they have coming up ahead. There's three of them revealed so far, and a fourth one is confirmed. Uh, the first two will be out in winter. The next two will be out in spring. So this is going to be at least a half-year storyline. We've got Abaddon in book one, Angron in book two, Vashtor, who we'll be talking about a bit in book three, and then book four is apparently going to be a distinctly Xenos affair. It's actually redacted Ordo Xenos, and they do confirm that the fourth book is going to be more Xenos, less chaos. Oh, nice. Um, they did reveal the uh, um, the table of contents for the first book. It's about 26 to... Yeah, about... Yeah, 26 or so pages of fluff. And then the rules are all rules for their new boarding action uh, play style, which they uh, talked about uh, about a month or so ago, where it's going to be all inside a Space Hulk using the same kind of terrain that they've been revealing or they've been releasing for Kill Team lately uh, with its own rules for building your armies for boarding action. It's like there's no match play rules in this book at all. There's no units, data sheets. This book is not... If you are not interested in playing boarding action, you don't need this book. If you want to follow the narrative or if you want to play boarding action, you will want this book. Yeah, and that's where I'm torn because I want to play it. I just don't... Like we've noted in the past, if you go to a store or something, most people are just playing tournament-style missions. Right. It's like, this is a nice option to have. We'll have to actually see if anybody adopts it. Because, again, yeah, they've done stuff like this before. And outside of a few takers, they generally hasn't cut. Like, specialized formats like this generally don't catch on. But they're I mean, definitely... I definitely want to play it. Yeah, and they're they're definitely leaning into it for the next several months. So... I mean, it could end up being a palate cleanser for people who are burning out a little bit on competitive play or like the standard match play. But we've also got new match play stuff coming up in like a month. So that'll change up. So we don't know a lot about this and how it plays yet. But uh, they do mention that there's no room for bulky monsters and war machines, nor for burning rubber down tight corridors. It's infantry and elites taking center stage. So this is going to be... In like infantry focused small units moving through cramped quarters, which will also you know shift up which models people are you know which units people are taking. So it'll be an interesting variation. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's like I want to give this a try, although it depends on how much the terrain for it's going to cost too. Because that's the other thing. It's like you cannot play this with your standard terrain. You have to get a whole new set of interior terrain with like doors and walls and things like that. So it's fine for the people who have been collecting all the kill team stuff, right? Uh, for them, yes. For the for <laughs> Which those I think of us it's who, none of us. <laughs> yeah, not, none of us. It's like I like the idea, but each of those boxes is like two hundred dollars, and I can't just. Oh, that's uh, that's yeah. I mean, I mean, I can confirm that, but I mean, my cross my fingers hope I don't think it'll happen is like at the when Dallas Open comes around, they have their 
narrative events, which they build their own terrain, so I don't see them using this, but it would be kind of neat if there was just like maybe at least just one table of that. I don't know. So yeah, the two boxes they've released, uh, Into the Dark, which was the first Kill Team box that had this terrain, it's the one that has the Navy Breachers and the Crute included. That's 210 bucks. The Shadow Vaults, which is the second one, which does also include terrain, um, is 185 That one's currently sold out. And I don't think they sell any boxes of that terrain independently right now. Oh, so. well, maybe they will when this drops. I imagine they'll have to. They'll probably have a box that is just like boarding party terrain. Right. But yeah, it's it's definitely something that you you can't just dip your toe into casually. So th- there is there is that to be concerned about. We'll see, which will be a bar of you know barrier to entry for for a lot of people. So I'm curious to see what comes of it. Hopefully, if they do release that, they'll price it at a decent level. But the kill t- it's going to require more of this stuff than the kill team boxes use because the I imagine it's going to be a larger field. So. I mean, it could get pricey. So I, I that there is a concern with that. Uh, and then uh, we mentioned Vashtor as book three of that series, and they showed off Vashtor, also known as the Archifane. Um, he is a he is like beyond a demon prince, but not quite chaos god, but not beholden to any of the chaos gods. He is basically chaos div- undivided and the basic, basically the demon of mechanical innovation. Interesting. Hmm. Um, he is built of flesh and metal. Uh, I mean, he, he looks like if a demon prince and a demon engine were merged. It's got a lot of the same stylistic touches that you see on the newer Things like the the Hellbrute or on the uh, or the Hellbrute or the the Mahler Fiends or even on some of the uh, like the new War Dogs stuff like that. Um, he is decently tall. Apparently, he's I want to say like a standard Chaos Marine comes to about like his knee or his like mid thigh. He's a really cool looking model. He's got these like big spindly bladed wings coming out of his back. He's got the same kind of smokestacks that you see on a lot of the newer chaos stuff. And yeah, like his hands are made of metal coming out of this flesh. And apparently like to summon him in the storylines, like you sacrifice flesh and metal. And then that sacrifice stuff reforms into Vashtor. I mean, it's very interesting. Yeah. He's basically a new free agent on, on the chaos side. And we'll have to see what uh, what happens with him. Again, we have no sense of what his rules are yet. So the model itself looks really cool. I already have somebody asking me if I'll paint one for him when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will probably be doing that. But uh, So evil Belisarius Cole. Got it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much evil Belisarius Cole. Uh, so uh, that's the re- the reveals that happened at the grand finale for the U.S. Open this year. But there was also the grand narrative. And Dennis, you wanted to discuss this, especially in regards <laughs> to a video that you had shared with us in chat. Yeah, I mean, we went to the narrative event in KC, and we had a lot of fun there. 
And there, the guy running it kept on kind of saying, hey, you guys should go to the grand narrative. It's going to be even bigger than this. And I think all three of us looked at it, but our vacation slash finances would not allow it, which after hearing it kind of makes me sad, but I'm, I'm glad I didn't for financial reasons. But I, if the grand narrative, they do it again next year and it's close by, well, within about eight hour drives close my version of close by yeah um i would really like to go to this over the other but i can, i think i can only go to one u.s open a year mm-hmm. um but what this had and and we'd seen the thing saying that be prepared to start your adventure when you land at the airport and i was thinking okay that's a little odd but what they had is you signed up for your a shuttle that would pick you up from the airport and take you to the hotel and that shuttle had one of staff manning it, and it was labeled as a troop transport. And the, the shuttle driver was in character already talking to you about what's going to happen and what's going on in this. And so from the time you landed, even driving, get, getting driven to the hotel, you, you were started involved. You were getting a lowdown, and that just seemed neat because <clears throat> the guy was also in costume. Um, and then when they started there, they had, like, when we did US Open, we had the main guy running it who told us what was going on, and he kind of briefed all the factions. Well, in here, they broke it out into three factions, Chaos, Imperium, and Interlopers, is what they called the, the pretty much the Xenos faction. Um, and, well, Chaos was easy, what they're trying to do. Imperium was easy, what they were trying to do. Because Imperium started out as the Defenders, again. <clears throat> but the Interlopers were... They kind of had to talk amongst themselves of, how narratively are we all doing this? So they they came up with some stuff to to make it work. And then when they had their meetings, each of those three factions was led by a staff member who was in costume and like you had a Corsair leading the interlopers, a world eater chaos guy leading the chaos and a commissar leading the Imperials. And those were your, like your air quote, big bosses who would hand out the missions. They'd tell you what's going on, give you your briefing. And it was kind of nice that you got that feel. And they were probably air quote competing amongst the three of themselves as well. Um, so that was neat. Other neat things about the costume is the, the Corsair was using her iPad as like a data slate to give the order or check on things. So, and she even apparently had a, um, Eldarish ruined case for the iPad. So it, it looked <laughs> like you would see an Eldar holding. And I thought that was super cool. Um, apparently in each of the days, the, makeup on the three main characters kept getting worse. Well, not worse than like it looked bad, but worse, like they were getting ragged and getting like wounded and having like more tattered and, a little, and one of them had a scar on the third day. And that's a nice test to show that it, it wears you down. So just that. And then each of the worlds in the sector or parts of the world had a specific biome associated with it. And each of those biomes was set in a certain room. Like, you know how this was like in a big, we were just in a big, uh, not auditorium. 
but like convention a, a, space. Like, yeah, we were in a big like con- yeah convention center room. Yeah, and these were more in. Um, and this is what I've had in the Dallas um, narrative. Was you were in like some of the conference rooms, and you uh, wouldn't have that many tables. You'd only have like four or five tables be able to set up there because it's a much smaller area. But because of that, they were able to theme each room at one of the planet's biomes. Like they had like a tundra one, a desert one. And apparently they were going all out where they had ambient music kind of softly playing for like the desert and the cold one. They turned up or down the thermostats to simulate hot or cold. And they put not just the terrain to match those, but they also hung things on the walls to make it feel like where you were at. And so that I, I've heard talk of doing that, but be, being able to pull it off. I, wow. Is all I can say there. Um, they still had the what, defenders go choose where you're at. Then attackers come in and pick who they're going to play, which I really like that. I know we can't do that for like a friendly event. It really only works in a narrative campaign where you actually have two sides where one side can go sit down and plan out where they want to be. And then the other side kind of choose where they're going to attack. Um, and I think it was interesting having three. So I, I don't know if that meant there's much more Imperium or if they, some of the interlopers were hitting both chaos and others. I'm sure it's probably a mix of all that, but they didn't get on the podcast. Didn't get into much of that. They were just more talking about how, everything was and how much fun it was to get the briefings and all that. And apparently on days two and three, there were some elite soldiers who joined the mix. Do you want to take a guess at who those elite soldiers were? Who are those elite soldiers? The people that got knocked out of the competitive rounds. (laughs) 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 So, (laughs) um, yeah, cause those were single elimination or like, Correct. They, they were knockout rounds. Yeah. Yep. So, and those people got to come over and they were assigned a room as like an elite person out there. And so if you wanted, you could challenge someone from the, the competitive scene with your army. And so I just thought that was an extra added touch. Cause that's something you wouldn't be expecting and just walk in the room. Oh, here's one of these champions sitting down at this table. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, going to die. <laughs> well, you get to pick if you want to, so you probably know you're going <laughs> to. Yeah. But as you know from our narrative, winning isn't always the main objective. Right. I mean, it definitely gets your, your side points in, in land for the narrative thing, but sometimes you are one to focus on what your mission is over winning the game, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it, that's the other thing I liked about the narrative stuff is, is that still there of your mission? I mean, oh, your mission is always to win, but you do have the side missions of if you are in against an impossible foe here, let, let's, let's do these missions that help the faction on the whole because we're going to get wiped out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that just seemed like a really, really fun experience. And they said, um, some of the NPCs and events that happened there would be translated into the narrative story of 40 K lore for the next year, which that is really cool. I mean, 
Now, for anyone who who doesn't know, uh, we have all been playing together for a very long time, and not just 40k. And one of the first games we actually played together was a game called Legend of the Five Rings, which was a card game based on va- loosely based on uh, like Japanese samurai. And one of the big things they had in that game was they would have big story tournaments where like, hey, whichever faction wins the tournament, like gets to choose or will affect the like that will steer the story. And it's neat seeing something like that coming back as a narrative event for for another game we play. Right. And I'm sure these will just be like those things you see in the sidebars type thing. But the fact they get codified is it would be really cool. I could also see him getting like, hey, you know, hey, can you throw this character into a Black Library novel? Or, hey, we, you know, we're pitching a Black, we want to get a Black Library novel about this character or that revolves around this faction so this character can make a a guest appearance. And it'll be a neat Easter egg for those people who were at the narrative event. Yeah, so we'll have to see. I don't know how far it was going other than that's what they said. So we'll have next year to find out. And maybe some of the people that were there could point out where it, the stories were that leapt off the table and onto the page. And, and one thing we did, we did find out, and I do, I liked this was that instead of having just like order and ruin as the two forces, they actually did do chaos, imperium, and Interlopers, interlopers which was all the xenos <laughs> yeah which is is weird for all the xenos to be interacting but it sounded like storyline wise they were going with it's the eldari manipulating every everyone again or, to get or what the they tau want. yeah the, the tau, tau were involved good too. At manipulating too yeah and orcs are kind of easy to manipulate sorry richard <laughs> oh well you know they they just want to fight so yeah. they get the fight then that's that's good with them they're happy <laughs> Yep. Now it sounds like everything I've heard is this. This was a fantastic event, and it it's it says something that the company dropped that amount of resource to make this. I mean, it sounds like they put more emphasis on this almost than they did the entire competitive event in the other part of the hall. I mean, that one was well, also probably well done, and you know, like you know, fantastic. But there's something when you you already have like champion level people and you don't have like 200 of them you can put them as like they're still the main event but you have a co-main event where you have the majority of the people coming are coming for this which they might have also done after learning from like last year where there wasn't much to do at the finals other than kind of watched the games and that was it it was also in a store not a convention center i mean it was the citadel but i i mean i went there i looked i'm like yeah yeah this is interesting i i got a better view of the games at home on twitch um so i think this gave them a way to still celebrate those victories and still make it a large event Mm -hmm. oh and i think i missed this um when i talked about the rooms i said sounds they also had scents in the room as well they had um diffusers going to make the room have a certain (laughs) so they they didn't just buy a whole bunch of those warhammer candles and light those (laughs) maybe those were the new scents that were coming i don't know (laughs) but no yeah they definitely went all out on trying to make this grand narrative a grand experience that is just so awesome that they did this so 
nah, it it sounds like this was just really cool. I do wish I would have been able to go. I just flying Time there, f- yeah, financially, it's just like I could afford it, but it would have ta- like, especially with the holidays coming up, we would have been a bit more tapped out than I, I wanted to be. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, if this if they do it again and have it within, like you said, like an eight hour drive. I think I would make the dr- I would make the drive to go, <laughs> even if it meant I couldn't be on the troop transport van. Yeah, but I mean, just like that little touch. Like I, I was watching the the video, and we'll link this video in the show notes, and I'll, I'll put it on the Facebook page for, so people can reference it. But just hearing that bit, like yeah, as soon as, as soon as you get off the get out of the airport, you're in character. Like they're they're putting you in the situation. And yeah, I heard the venue was great. Even like the food was fantastic. Like everything, they made sure that this was an event that people would enjoy. Also, shout out to Chase Garber, somebody we've played before up at Renegade Open, um, who uh, it, you might know him as Gunham on uh, Goonhammer. Uh, he took home the prize for best interloper playing Necrons. <laughs> so congratulations to Chase for that. Uh, yeah, it just sounds like it was a blast. Um, having played a couple of Crusade events, I mean, this obviously takes it to the next level, but um, I really do think Crusade's kind of an underrated play way to play ninth edition. It is a lot of fun, and I hope that it gets more support in the future. Uh, in in the, whatever the next edition is, I hope they keep it around and keep it relatively compatible with like the codexes that are already out and like the Crusade mechanics because I think they're good mechanics. Um, uh, there was a recent Bell of Lost Souls uh, editorial saying, well, we should get rid of this multiple ways to play and there should just be the one one version of 40K and everybody's playing the same game. And I'm like, no, I really don't think it should be. I think yeah. you've got a core rule set, but there's so many things you can layer on top of that. And I think Crusade is a fantastic addition to 40K. Um, and it, I think having multiple ways of play kind of stems burnout it does because sometimes people get burned out playing just the same way and they want to try something or just because yeah tr- i mean lost it for words there but having a new way to approach the game kind of makes it fresh again yeah yeah um speaking of competitive and things that might burn people out um we had the new meta watch drop uh, kind of revealing what's happened in the game since the the last uh, battle slate, or the last, yeah, covering what's been happening in the game since the last balance data slate, and since the release of Leagues of Votan, um, and also kind of a wrap-up of how things have been going for 2022 as a whole, and in... Uh, like with how things have been changing with Nephilim, there's a whole video online that uh, Games Workshop played and I or, you know, put on or put on their YouTube channel. And I do appreciate that they they're being very transparent with the data they're collecting and how they're interpreting it. It's it does go a long way to understanding their uh, thought processes in and what they're trying to do, what what goal they're trying to target as they're balancing armies. Uh, and so uh, they did. Uh, drop the results like if you just take the u.s open series so starting from the seattle and san diego events in like may and june all the way through the final in new mexico um there's some about ba- there's some issues 
Uh, there's definitely some issues. Uh, they do have, like, they've said their sweet spot for uh, win-loss records for a faction should be, uh, you should win, f- like, your win rate should be f- between 45 and 55%, because that that gives you room for some variance, uh, you know, for good matchups, bad matchups. But in general, uh, I mean, a 50% win rate is ideal. Uh, 45 to 55% allows for some some variation there. Um, and there's three factions that have come out uh, above that and five factions that are below that. Um, starting at the bottom, uh, Dark Angels, Space Wolves, Adeptus Astartes, Death Watch. There's a theme here. And <laughs> Adeptus Mechanicus, still dead. Like, Mechanicus is fallen hard. Well, They're in a very they, different place than they were like a year or two ago. They did point out one thing in there, which caught my ear which makes me think that they they do understand things of mechanicus is not an easy army it's hard no. to play mm-hmm. if they make it air quote too good it jumps up from like where it's at now at like the bottom to pro- way at the top because once competitive players find something is good they will jump on that bandwagon and that's what rides the numbers high. Like you'll see when uh, I'll spoil the Zinch, yeah. which we all know right now, the flamers of Zinch are such a good unit. A lot of really competitive meta chasing players are using that and using it very effectively. And so you'll see less players for these other factions. And, if you have less players in the other faction and the faction is still doing well, aka Harlequins, um, okay, they're at a good spot. They're strong. And then you can see like the opposite of, well, they've lost more players, Space Marines, and now they're doing bad. Hmm. Okay. I guess we've all the good players have left those because they don't think they're viable. Right. And they are trying to account for that in their data collection because they, but, but yeah, it's like, yeah, with the top, so, the, like, our Imperial Knights, Tyranids, and Harlequins are all pegged at that 55%. Like, that's the top range that they want those win rates to be. Edging just past that 56% win rate, Leagues of Votan. Yeah. I, Votan came out the gate strong, even with their pre-release, like, errata and points change. They're still hitting strong. Chaos Demons, 57, and I imagine that's being pulled up by Zinch. At 70% win rate. Now, that granted, that is just U.S. Opens. But that's also, like, some of the best players are taking, right? Like, leaning into Zinch Demons. And, and yeah, Flamers are a pl- our problem. <laughs> the thing you'll note there is Chaos Demons and Votan are the two newest codexes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what you I kind of think there is, sure, it's... Sometimes uh, they probably still have newest codexes are more powerful than previous ones. And I will admit playing against a demon with a demon saves that is very hard to deal with because you can't, I mean, their, their saves are just there. You can't ignore their saves period. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that makes them a lot more durable than any other army. And then Votan, I think, I mean, they were always going to be strong, but I think you also have a lot of players playing Votan because they're new. And you you probably will have see some of that in these numbers of 
they're good and they're new and that just spikes things up. Um, so I, I'm curious as to see where these will go with, um, demons and Voton, because I will say the Voton players are already bracing for more nerfs. And I, I'm just kind of frustrated with that because this feels like the most nerfs in the shortest amount of time for a brand new army. And it is. It is. And I haven't not... even played a single full game as Votan yet. Well, and they, they even <laughs> they brought that up. They pointed that to, out too. Is that people are just now starting because, like, the Votan box had like you were one of the first people that I saw who actually had like the models that were released in the army preview box, like painted up and ready to play, which isn't enough to make a, a really well rounded army. We're just now starting to see because what it was just like three weeks ago that they like their full release dropped yeah and i guess that's another point you'll you can put out rob is the people that got to the competitive scene with the fully painted and and ready to go are probably the ones that are more i'm here for the competitive part and the people i'm gonna say like me who just want to play them uh, yeah, we're still painting. We're still getting them all together. Right. And so I, I'm hoping as the more casual players get into these numbers that the numbers will drop. Um, I mean, I don't hope that Votan start winning a lot less, but I mean, I think they probably will as you get more casual players and as more uh, other players figure out how to beat Votan. Because mm-hmm. Votan have a lot of weaknesses, which I like keep pointing out. So we'll we'll see how that goes in the future. Yeah. Um and then looking at the overall rate uh for 2022 as a whole. Now granted this includes pre-nephilim and post-nephilim data. Uh we've got I'm not surprised that we see Harlequins, Tyranids and Adeptus Custodes breaking that 55% ceiling. But a lot of that is buoyed by a. They're still decent now because they're all coming in at about a fifty-five per, you know percent win rate for the U.S. Opens, but also the Harlequins and Tyranids and Custodes were definitely overrepresented in the first half of the year and going yes. into the second half. So um, hopefully they're slowly coming down. But like one thing we've seen with um, Harlequins is they're just all around good that if you try to nerf one particular problem issue they just move to something else and it's still strong it may not be as strong but it's still very strong and in the hands of a good player it they can still wreck face and Um, that's other things uh, they mentioned specifically about harlequins is they've seen the amount of players playing harlequins drop and harlequins numbers have stayed about the same Mm-hmm. So they they just have good things and good players d- playing Harlequins right now. Yeah. And it is also telling that for year-end results, uh, again, Dark Angels, Death Watch, Adeptus Astartes, they're at the di- at the bottom. Astra Militarum is at the bottom, but we can't really count. Th- you know, they get, they're getting a brand new book. So yeah. next you know, year in we'll a couple see weeks, how they do. Yeah, they, we'll see how they perform. Uh, but obviously, they you know, they were also working with an old codex, so... They're on a back foot anyway. And yeah, Mechanicus is still at the bottom. Mechanicus being such a complex army, as you said, it's so hard for them to effectively balance. Um, so the, I, hopefully they're learning some of this from 
uh, you know, in, as far as like codex design. And I think they're, you know, they're saying like, if we make an army too good and have too good synergy, even if it's really complex, it gets out of hand very quickly. If we get, and if we make an army just too powerful out of the gate or have like, just whether an army is complex or not too much synergy, like we saw it with Harlequins, we saw it with Tyranids, we're seeing it potentially with Leagues of Votan, um, and we saw it with Mechanicus before they did Mechanicus nerfs, which is interesting because a lot of those nerfs, not all of them, but a lot of them have been rolled back. And apparently it's still not helping. They are still just – and as you said, good players have moved have moved past it. They're on to something else. And that's – it's going to be just now the people who are just really into Mechanicus. And they aren't necessarily optimizing those armies for wins. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, of course – January, we're going to see a new mission pack, which they haven't really released any details of. Um, they did say in the MetaWatch video that Nephilim, as far as like the command point generation, it did do what they wanted, which was encouraging people to spend their points throughout the game rather than dump every, like dump all their command points early on in a, in an alpha strike. So games are playing out longer or, you know, they're, so that's good. That you're getting, but is also the games are still extremely deadly at high level competitive play. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they change for Nephilim and what they take from this. If we are in fact going to see a new edition coming in the, coming this summer, how they roll that into things as well, well. And one thing I took from watching the GW video on this was, um, they want each season to feel different. Mm-hmm. So it might be that yeah, Nephilim, they dr- shrunk the command points. They might up the command points for the next one, but make something else like a resource you have to address and be aware of and manage. So I don't know. Well, I, I don't know if this is as much as them learning and changing the competitive scene based on what's going to make it more competitive or it's also changing things up in a way to keep the game feel different slash fresh or maybe it's a bit of both so we'll we'll have to wait and see yeah it's it'll be interesting to see i mean i'm not that much of a competitive player but i like to keep tabs on what's going on with it so yeah i am curious to see what goes on with this and, and where the game goes uh, from this point. Cause again, hopefully they are taking some of these things into account as they learn and they've kind of figure out where they've like what they've done right with codexes, what they've done wrong, what they need to change. Um, speaking of changes, we just got some more leagues of Votan errata. This one after oh, the it, codex is released. Did, so is it errata nice. that dropped today? No, no. I mean the, the one that dropped this week. Oh, the the FAQ because it's not yeah. errata. It's well, there's a FAQ. there's a couple of errata. There's oh, okay, yeah. There's some minor stuff. Really matter, yeah. yeah, just corrections. Like but. Uther the Destined is one per army, and you're thinking, well, he's a named character, but they didn't print it on his sheet, right? So, and, and then, then getting the bolt cannon uh, weapon type correct, and upping it to th- three shots instead of two. That was kind of big, and that kind of it really feels like they're trying to get away from people choosing beam. Which seems strange to me because, yeah, the, the changes that have happened now, like you said, the bolt cans are now three. So you can get three solid shots 
or you can pay extra points to get two beam shots. So now it's it's kind of a, a trade-off there. They fixed the Sagittar finally, because it's modeled with um, both the L7 and the Sagittar missiles. And in the codex, it has them listed as, well, I should say, in the special edition codex, it has them listed as two separate things. Well, the model has only has one. The points increase when they release that had them listed as one. And the um, normal edition of the codex has them listed as one. So it is now officially said they're one. So you can pay 10 points to get two strength 10 AP minus three, three damage missile shots, plus either one more high strength or a D6 little strength missiles coming at your opponent. For 10 points, you get all that. Or you can pay 20 points to get two beam shots that are only strength 9 that do D6 wounds. But sometimes that three wounds might be better. So I don't know. If I wasn't focused on Ymir, I would probably swap over to just always using missiles. But Ymir has the beam stratagem, so I kind of want to keep beams. But, But we'll see. Well, especially with the other uh, the FAQs that they've applied for beams, which has had a couple of people scratching their heads, it seems. Yeah, well, yeah, the new thing is someone says, well, if I have a beam go over my own characters, do I have to roll to wound them too? And their answer is, yes, you would roll to wound them like you would any other enemy character or any other enemy unit. And so that had people just reading that first part of yes and then taking that to heart. But that second sentence is the key one because in the rules themselves, beam weapons say you cannot um, affect any um, unit you cannot target. A.K.A. if you cannot see the unit, you can't target them. So they won't be affected even if they're under the line. Or a character. You cannot target the character... So even though you could have them under the line, they will not take wounds because they could not be targeted. And then if you jump back to the core rulebook on who you can target, uh, it says you can only target enemy units. So thus, by the beam rule, since you can't target your own units because they're not enemy because of the core rule, it means that even though the fact says yes... The answer is no, because they're not a valid target for the attack. Right. That's very convoluted, and it's hard to have to spell it out that way. If they really wanted to make you hit your own units, they need to change in a errata of how the beam rule works, or unless this is them previewing 10th edition, and maybe in 10th edition, friendly fire is a thing where if you have a unit even of your own that's in between you and an enemy, you're going to hit them, which I hope not. Cause I mean, that would make positioning like the key point of the game, but it would make shooting very hard. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Cause I've seen a lot of people counter that. Well, that's how beam works for other factions like Eldar. And well, yes, Eldar specifically says you hit all, um, models, in this line that you draw, like the Avatar, he draws a line, 12 inches. Any units that are under that take wounds. So, yes, th- that one works that way. But 
because the beam rule for Votan specifically calls out you cannot wound things you cannot target, the fact just makes it more confusing. Yeah. Now, the, yeah, the, it really does sound like beam itself needs to be reexamined to, to clarify that because it does seem contradictory. I mean, now the other FAQs like specifying that a beam weapon that does one or more, does more than one hit will trigger the wound rolls more times. I mean, that's a good confirmation that yes, it does work that way. Um, that being wounded by a beam weapon, if it's just on the intervening unit, doesn't count as a hit on anything that would trigger based on being hit. That's a good clarification. But yeah, that affecting friendly units does seem completely counter to everything else that is written that way which again it makes positioning more of a thing for voton which they've got short stubby legs so positioning is hard but um it does make beam weapons less attractive no i mean beam weapons didn't change because i can't target my own unit so thus the fact means nothing except that the fact specifically says you should wound them no it says you should you you wound them like you would any other enemy unit which I cannot target your character, so he cannot be wounded. I cannot target my Votan, they cannot be wounded. I mean, unless they're going to change beams to where we can hit people in buildings and characters. Well, and so, like, there's a hot take. Again, I'm gonna, I always like to refer back to Goonhammer uh, for a second opinion. Um, they had a hot take on this FAQ and basically said, which, again, I don't think the rules necessarily agree with this one like beams do they hit my buddies yes although the beam rule specifies that it only hits eligible targets which friendly units are not that appears to only be intended to protect units hiding behind train or using lookout sir not not any friendly dwarves standing in the way we did wonder about this one during the review process games workshop tend not to write rules by inference so we did think they might have made exclusion of friendlies more explicit if that was the intent but didn't focus on it as the rules have had a definite function as written. This appears to have been true. It turns out the Votan do not have duck and cover drills down to a fine art. And you do have to be a little bit careful about how you position your own models. So the FAQ seems to imply that, yeah, they can still be hit. And even though my take is- on that is the core rules contradict that. And this is a fact, not an errata. Right. So facts uh, are not rulings. Yeah. So it's, this is something this, they're going to have to read. They're going to have to readdress. Um, yeah, that's why I thought this was like the worst way to do it of put something in a fact that made it more confusing. Right. Which there's one other thing that this possibly points to. And it seems weird on the timing that they would release the FAQ before they would release this, but it's possible that the beam rule gets updated in the next balance data slate. That could be, or like I said, maybe friendly fire for all factions is going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're going to fix it in the balance state of slate, you would think you would apply the FAQ at that time, then, not yes. yeah, not ahead of time. So yeah, it's it, it's messy. It just feels like a mishandling of that. Just like the special edition codex was a mishandling of the Sagittar rules, which should have just been able to be cut and pasted. Or how the the change to Eye of the Ancestors kind of defeats the entire purpose of Eye of the Ancestors. <laughs> yeah but we've already talked about all those in previous oh yeah we yeah we have it's just i think it shows that uh they 
they didn't really like the Voton Codex is not as well designed as we would have liked. Like they were just, yeah. just and not like blatantly badly, but just enough weird cases, weird things slipping through well, that. And to go back to like I the ancestors, that affected four things, and some of those things, I don't know. I, since I'm not remembering. That nerfed one entire faction of Votan. Two of the others are like, oh, oh, well, it was just the only was the stratagem and the magna rail. Right. That's what people didn't like. And they could have toned either one of those down. And I still don't think that the whole and a lot of people said it was because of the magna rail. And okay, so I don't have to choose between if I hit a squad, I might kill one or maybe I kill more. Versus having a missile launcher where I'm just going to pick, well, I'm going to pick this that does less damage that can kill more than just killing one with one strong shot. So, I don't know. I don't True. get the outrage. Well, I think with the Eye of the Ancestors is the fact that you could go, you could make something that would normally only trigger on a six trigger half the time. Right. So, and for the it, Magna Rail, I mean, if I'm firing at a big guy, well, okay, it's just one. It doesn't matter. If I'm firing at a squad, half the time I will spill over, maybe kill a second one or a third one. Or I could, if I had a big missile launcher thing, well, I'll just hit you three times and probably kill you two of the three. You know, I think something else that might have, well, actually with the Magna Rail, it really wouldn't have helped because the AP on that. But it's like if they had not had them spill over as mortal wounds, it might have been better. But again, with the AP and the no invulnerable saves, right? Uh, there, it's effectively going to be mortal wounds either way. So yes. So yeah, Voton I think still needs a little bit of tune up to to really get this clarified to where they want it. And again, we'll see what happens in the data, the balanced data slate. But yeah, this FAQ seems just like with a, lot, a couple of the things with the Vatlis goes to Voton just seems like oddly timed, oddly worded. Yeah, and just a, a lot of things that they've, air quote, nerfed seem like head scratchers of, and it feels like them just going to peer pressure. And, and even my other frustration was this, Medwatch says they always like let a codex come out, let all the models come out and do that before they do anything. And they haven't done that we, in this case. <laughs> one, they haven't done this in this case. And two, if these things were going to be the reasons why Voton were going to be so high, they totally missed the mark because Votons are still at 56%, even with all of their changes. So maybe those changes weren't what was going to make Voton good. Right. So I'm frustrated. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I would be frustrated too if that was a faction I was playing because it's like, what am I trying to build? This is a moving target now. You keep changing how they, <laughs> the wording. And oh, yeah. Thing. And there are a lot of people who are still trying to build and it still feels like a moving target. Which is funny because like when they issued the pre-Codex release errata, it's like that's the thing they were trying to avoid and they haven't done it. So... <sighs> All right, uh, moving on. Uh, let's talk about the Saturday pre-orders that went up yesterday because this is actually something that was announced like about a month ago and we just haven't had a good chance to cover it, but they are up for order now. And that is the new uh, Christmas. We always get Christmas Battle Force boxes um, and they have, what, seven of them, I think? 
two, three, four, five, six, seven. It should be eight. 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 There's eight Battle Wizards. I think the most they've ever released. And that doesn't count like the five or six of them they dropped for Age of Sigmar. So like they're doing a lot of army bundles this uh, this year. Um, so we're just going to kind of take it from the top. We've got the Adeptosauritas Sanct- uh, Sanctorum Guard. And a theme you're going to see with all the 40k ones is that there's a named character pretty much every box as kind of the the focal point for it. So we've got uh, the Adeptosaurus Sanctorum Guard has Morven Vol, two units of Paragon Warsuits, uh, five Sacrosants, and ten regular Soritas. Uh, if you are not currently playing Sisters and you want to play Sisters, that's not a bad way to jumpstart it. If you already no. have a Morven Vol, though, there's really not much point in picking up this box. Yeah, no, this is an amazing box if you want to get into Sisters, because Morven Vol and two Paragon Warsuits squads, that's like the base I use for my army, it seems like. And then the Sacrosants are probably one of the best melee ones in the codex mm-hmm. my opinion i know rob might disagree with some of the others <laughs> i know they're they're good they're they're they are a good kind of more of a defensive assault unit as yeah. opposed to like the all-out like repentia that i tend to use right and the repentia die these will stick around and you can also use them as bodyguard type things too so no, this is super solid box i love it i would not pick it up for myself because i already have Three squad, technically four, but I didn't open the fourth box. Three squads of um, war suits, which is the most I can have anyway, and Vol. So over half the boxes is, is not useful. But for someone who doesn't have those, oh, this is this is great, great box. Yeah. Also, uh, price point on all of these boxes that we're going to discuss two hundred and ten dollars. So every single box we're going to talk about comes in at two hundred and ten US. That's a deal. Uh, um, next up, we've got Adeptus Custodes, Watchers of the Gate. Um, has uh, Trajan Valoris, three uh, Virtus Praetor jet bikes, uh, three Alaris custodians, and 15 just regular custodian guard. Um, if you are looking to get into custodes, that's, that's, I mean, that's practically the whole army right there. I mean, that's a lot of points and a very solid release. I, I will admit. Either thankfully or not thankfully, I do not have a Trajan Valoris. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I need all of these guys, but if I if I picked this up, I would not need for any more custodes ever. Well, maybe not ever, but I mean, now this is another good box, and I mean, I don't know. The troops you can like fill out to be the Praetors as well with the standards yeah i i don't need it but this is the one i might pick up just because like you said you've got three squads of troops there which you said 15 that could be up to five squads yeah and the terminators are good um some people don't like it. i really love them i would love to have more and the jet bikes are the the take option for the if you really want to hammer things, because they give custodes the air quote one thing they lack, which is speed. Right. So no, this this is another solid box I like, and thanks to me not having the character, will contemplate picking up. I kind of I'm I'm gonna throw together 
Because, I mean, it's it's a patrol detachment, although with all the units in here, you could easily make some of these into, like, shield captains or vexillas. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, it's a very, very flexible build box, too. But if I just throw in the points, uh, let's see. So, we've got Trajan Valoris. We're just going to go three units of five custodians. Or, no, actually, we, we can't go three units of five because they... Well, we can. I just have to up the unit size a bit. Um, the Freighters, Praetors, the Alaris Custodians. I'm going to have to actually update that to be... Because what, three of those? No, I don't want both of them. I just want to kind of... And this is just with stock war gear. I don't necessarily... Yeah, this is like a, a 1300... Just stock. No Praetors... No, no customization, no shield captains built out of anything. Thirteen hundred points, like yeah, l- like you said, you don't need much past this. <laughs> uh, right. Nah, it's that's a fan. That that's a fantastic box for for a custodes player. It, yeah, and if you don't have Trajan Valoris, this is a temptation, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up, we've got the Adeptus Mechanicus Elimination Manipul, as you will be eliminated from tournaments, because you will lose. But that's beside the point. Oh, <laughs> wow. Mean, I know, that's 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 harsh. It's maybe unfairly harsh. Um, so you get a, you get Belisarius Call, a unit, or two units, but effectively, of Cataphron Destroyers or Breachers. And uh, a unit of, uh, the, a unit of Castle and Robots and a Datasmith. And a unit of Skatari, um, which is basically three troop choices, a, a named character, and a heavy. And then I believe the Data Smith counts as like no slot if you have Castellans. Um, again, like if you are not a Mechanicus player and you, I will say, if you are not a Mechanicus player and you want to run Call, which not everybody does. Um, this is not a bad place to start, uh, but it does kind of lock you into playing Mars for one thing, because that's calls faction. So this is not the most flexible builds, although like the Skatari Vanguard can be made or the Skatari can make it be made as either Vanguard or Rangers. The Cataphrons can be either destroyers or breachers, or you can build units of three each. And there's a couple of build styles for the Castellans. So, like, the individual units can be tweaked out, but it does not have the flexibility, definitely, the Custodes box. And I, I just don't think it's as strong a box as the Sisters box. No. I mean, the the Mechanicus models are awesome looking. Call is a fantastic model. Also, I cannot imagine, like, he's one where I'm, like, I'm vaguely terrified to try paint that. I've seen some really good ones done. I know people who've painted really good Belisarius calls. You would have to do him as a uh, set of sub-assemblies, I think, to be able to get him painted to a, a high standard. But, uh, but yeah, that's it's it's not a bad deal. But at the same time, it's like it's – I mean, if you, if you really like the look of, of Mechanicus and you haven't tried it and you, like, want call – it's not bad, but it's definitely not one where I'm just like, oh, no, you should totally get that if you're going to play Mechanicus. On the other hand, if you're going to play Knights, the Chainbreaker Lance is a f- fantastic box, and you should get it. Yeah, I mean, I- I'm trying to think of ways that to say, nah, it's not as good as it is, but it's good. 
And what I really like about it is the fact that people's play style has gone from like having three to five big nights or three nights with some armatures where it's one or two nights and a ton of armatures. And this box gives you one night and four armatures. So, I mean, you buy two of these and you have a, a perfectly competitive night yeah. army. And at 210 so, I mean, bucks, considering yeah. a night, just just the the regular night is like... Like 160? 100? I know the armature box is Once, like 80. 170. 170, and the armature box is about 80 each. So that puts it about... Oh, yeah, armatures are 85 30. for a pair. Oh, so, so 340? Yeah. No, this is a fantastic <laughs> savings. You oh bought, my gosh. There is no reason to not buy two of these if you want to play as, as a knight army. And see, here I am complaining that I've focused more on the big knights and I don't have enough armagers. And I probably don't need another big knight, but it wouldn't be bad. No, I, d- I definitely I have like five in my, but I, and I have a, I have a box of armagers I haven't built. But it's like, also the fact that the, this knight box, like the, the, the Questor's knight, it builds every knight variant that yes. you can run, including yes. if you want to run the named knight that they have there. And, Technically, you can run all these as Chaos Knights as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they won't be the special types of Chaos Knights, but they you can design them to be in a Chaos Knight army too. Mm-hmm. No, this is this is a fantastic all-purpose Knights box. It pleans into how Knights are being played right now. There is no downside to this box. It's a fantastic I mean, deal. This is the number one box they've released, I think. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's unquestionable. This is this is a fantastic box. Um, next up, we've got Dar- for Death Guard, Council of the Death Lord, uh, Mortarian, uh, unit of five Blightlord Terminators, and 14 Plague Marines. Um, I mean, okay, so... Plague Marines are good. Blightlord Terminators are very good. Mortarian is good. But if you are a, like if you are a new de- again, new Death Guard player, this plus like their combat patrol would be 350 bucks and that would give you 3 units of Plague Marines, Typhus, Poxwalkers, um Mortarian and Blightlord Terminators. Yeah, that would be a pretty solid starting army. If you are not, if you already play Death Guard, you probably already have Mortarian. Don't bother because you don't need to. <laughs> and, and again, these are these are definitely, I think, geared towards people who are not currently playing. Right. These are starter to like, hey, Merry Christmas, new army, new year. <laughs> right. No, absolutely, absolutely. Like this is this is what you curse someone with to give them a new army, but. But, uh, yeah, it's like if, if you like, like, like if you like Death Guard and you have not current, you are not currently playing Death Guard, this is a good, it's a good box. If, and like I said, if you get that in the combat patrol for Death Guard, you are pretty much set. Like that will give you a great start for an army. But I, if you're already a Death Guard player, it is, it's not worth, not worth your time because you already have all this stuff. And that same thing is going to carry over for the uh, Thousand Suns Court of the Crimson King, because it's basically the same thing except for Thousand Suns. 
It's a it's Magnus, three exalted sorcerers, one of which is on a disc, and two units of Rubik Marines. Great if you don't already play Thousand Suns. Not so great if you do, because you I mean, probably have that. I will admit this box looks awesome to me, as it I'm, looks, I guess, I'm channeling, mean, channeling my inner John. <laughs> but... I am I am done with New Army New Year for a while. Votan's my army for next year, right? So I I do not need to pick up Thousand Suns. Even though, like you said, if I were to get into Thousand Suns, this would be a great jumping on point. And if let's say you wanted to do a Thousand Suns, and again, just like I said with the uh, Death Guard, if you buy the Death Guard holiday box and then their Combat Patrol, and I sorry, it was wrong. It's not three fifty, three sixty because the Combat Patrols are one fifty. Um, the the thousand suns one there's like no overlap between them so you you end up getting uh a unit of scarab occult terminators a blob of like 20 zangor and you get armon you get another you get a second named character that if you want to get into thousand suns that's a fantastic two box set to do it in i mean and that would give you close to like probably one kit away from a 2000 point army that's going to be decently solid. So I don't think that's a bad way to go. But again, if you already play thousand suns, I wouldn't bother with that. And then our last two boxes are both space Marine focused. Um, the first one is the Imperial fists bastion strike force. Um, it is Tor Garadon, the named Primaris character, uh, three aggressors, 15 heavy intercessors, and the Primaris upgrade sprue. I can't recommend that unless you are a diehard Imperial Fists fan. Like, it's not even interesting. Like, it's not even that interesting a force, you know? I mean, aggressors are nice. They are. They are. And heavy intercessors are not bad, and getting 15 of them is not bad. But it compared to some of the others, it just like, especially with the fact that it's like it's three, it's three unit types. And one of them is Tor Garadon, who's like, it's okay. He's not bad. Just well, if you took him out of the picture, how much are those other four boxes? So Tor Garadon's $42 by himself. Ignore him. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Ignore him. So uh, let's see some of these. Uh, heavy intercessors are 65 a box so that's so, uh, that's like 195 right there and then the aggressors which may be temporarily because aggressors are a very popular aggressors yes, are 55 are. a box so, so i mean it's it, minus two, him <laughs> well it's it's 250 plus and then he would be 45 so yeah I, it's not a bad like money wise it's not a bad deal yeah so if you really liked heavy intercessors and aggressors and don't have as many as you want it's still a good box because you're saving yeah. 40 dollars and you get this bonus mini you can paint for fun oh. <laughs> well and you also have like the you get the upgrade sprues which that's depending on how many they put in there uh i imagine they would put possibly two in there probably just maybe just one they say a set and that's another 27. So again, like I can't argue with the cash value of it, but it's it just like 
And if you are really into the idea of Imperial Fists, it's not bad. But Or if you are just wanting those particular Primaris units, it just seems like a lot. If Unless you are really into Heavy Intercessors. that's the, like I wouldn't bother yeah. with this for Aggressors. Aggressors are not sold out right now. So if you just want a unit of Aggressors, spend 55 bucks and buy a unit of Aggressors. But... Um, and then the uh, the last one is the Raven Guard Raven Strike Battle Force, which is uh, Cave and Shrike, uh, Librarian and Phobos Armor, ten Reavers and three Eliminators, and two Invictor War Suits. That one I find more interesting. I yeah, I don't know uh, Raven Guard. If I actually had a, well, I guess technically Space Wolf Star Codex Space Marine one now, but. If I had a non-Space Wolf one, Raven Guard was what I always leaned towards. But, I don't know. I'm not... Well, I've, I don't think I've ever been impressed with the Reavers models. I think they're cool. I just don't want an army of them. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen the Warsuits on, on the table, really. I've I've seen the... I, th- I want to say... Um... You have because Nathan used uh, one unit of them in your game at, at uh, Iron Halo that was on stream. Oh, many years ago. Uh, yeah, recently ago. I haven't seen. No, not not so much yet. recently. I'm also surprised that they're using Reavers and not the Infiltrators or Incursors because that's actually a troop choice. As right. is, this is like a Vanguard, maybe. So yeah, it makes sense. It's just. Also, kind of, it's more well-rounded than the Imperial Fists oh, one. Totally, totally. And I think, I mean, both fit their factions. So, it's like, I can't, I can't say they're bad for those factions. I like this one more than the Imperial Fists one. And if I, if you were getting into Raven Guard, this isn't bad. And I believe they have other um, bundles that you can get that have like incursors and such in them. So it's like they have a a number of com- like space Marines have like three or four combat patrols that you can get that would suit this. It's just, I think reavers are such a weird choice for this army. No, well, their backpacks do match strikes. Yeah. This like the space Marine combat patrol gives you, uh, infiltrators, a lieutenant in Phobos armor, three suppressors, another three eliminators, and a Primaris Impulsor. So again, this is one of those cases, like, you buy the Raven Guard, and you buy the Combat Patrol for, like, generic Space Marines for Raven Guard, and that actually gives you a pretty solid Raven Guard force. from what I heard, there's no overlap. Yeah, uh, no, there are. They have the Eliminators, but... Well, okay, two squads of Eliminators, I'm fine with that. I mean, Right, and the Eliminators... And the difference between the two boxes is the Eliminators and the Combat Patrol are the, um, I believe, the Monopose ones that were in, uh, I believe, were in Shadow Spear, whereas the ones in this box are the multi-part, because you can equip them differently. So... Hopefully that's that is the case, but yeah, like that that overlap is not bad. Whereas with the Imperial Fists, it's like buy a Space Marine Combat Patrol that fits. Um, probably, strangely enough, I think the Dark Angels one is might be the best fit because it's got a Redemptor Dread. But <laughs> I mean, I could it, see that. But otherwise, yeah, I don't think any of the. Any of the other combat patrols really suit the 
Imperial Fist. So it's just, it's like, it's, it's fine. It's, it's the box. Like if I had to rank these boxes, I would, and just in overall utility and how well you can adapt these, I would say Chainbreaker Lance is absolutely the best. Yeah. That is, that is number one. Yeah. That is the distant number one. Like it is so far ahead of the pack. I'd say the Custodes box is number two. Custodes is my two. Yeah, because there's so many ways to build that. Um, I think the Sisters box is probably a three. <laughs> That's where are I was we, putting it was three. I, so are we landing <laughs> at the same spot? We'll probably um, change up here, though. Um, I would... And then the rest of them, uh, as far as like new armies, I would say for like... Because the rest of these are kind of for starting armies. I would say I'm going to have the death guard and thousand sons ones tied for four because they're both i would put them the same spot i was going to have thousand sons over but just because preference yeah i'm just like for their individual factions they are both equally good like they they basically give you the same thing you pair them with their their uh related combat patrol you get a perfectly good start for either of those armies and I was actually going to toss in Mechanicus at this spot as well, because it's the same thing. You get the one major character who's tied to a specific faction, in this case Mars, and then a bunch of stuff to go with it. See, I would can build off of. I do this a bit differently because whereas Thousand Sons and Death Guard have their own sub factions within them and they they don't necessarily tie you to a particular one. Other than maybe using Typhus does tie you a little bit if you bring in the combat patrol. The Mechanicus one ties you specifically to one sub-faction. And that is Mars. That is fair. Yeah. Now, again, this one is really nice if you pair it with... Like, all of these other part... Like, if you pair them with the proper combat patrol, you get a much more well-rounded force. I do think... I would put the Elimination Maniple after the two chaos ones okay that's fair and then finally uh the two space marine ones i put would put raven guard and then my very last one is the imperial fists it's the one i'm the least impressed by i i would put these two on the same tier so but but we have them both at the bottom <laughs> right it they're uh and like depending on how big a fan of i i mean if i wanted to be an absolute jerk i would just put mechanicus at the bottom because that seems to be where it's going to be anyway but uh <laughs> along with the Mecha- space marines so it's fine um, well one thing I'll, I'll say looking at all these is i think the two space marine ones have the problem of there's just so many space marine models out there well, all the others, you can look at it and say, oh, here's this force. Oh, this is well-rounded. And, and you look at these, well, here's a force. Well, there's so many others in those slots that, what, is there things that could have been better? I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, they don't grab you and say, I am this. So, other than reading the name. God, it's like the Imperial Fist one. Instead of doing like three units of, in, of like three five-man units of intercessors, maybe two of them in a Redemptor Dread, I think would have made that a more oh, interesting man. choice. Yeah. I mean, you've got two war suits in the the Raven Guard one, so why True. not put a why not put a uh, Imperial Fist uh, Redemptor Dread in there? Yeah, and no, that uh, would have been a big upgrade. Yeah, and then I would be like, okay, yeah, that one really works. I kind of dig that one. It would have it would have pulled it up from dead last for me for sure. It would have made right. me look at that one in the Raven Guard one. It's like, wow, they're both pretty good for your faction. Also, they have the lowest model count 
of any of these boxes, which is kind of disappointing because that's even compared to the Death Guard one, which has a huge centerpiece model. Well, I don't no, think I take that back. Custodes. Well, no, the knights actually have the least least well, six. Yeah, the, but, okay. Nice but as far yeah. as like infantry, no, custodes are twenty-two. There are more right, custodes. That's what I mean. The, yeah, then there are custodes in these, have a lot. Yeah, it's like most of these are coming in in the like the low twenties. With again, knights getting uh, an obvious well uh, knights pass. Knights. Yeah, but yeah, it strikes me that the the space marine ones just seem to be the least i mean they're not bad deals we've done the math on them they're not terrible deals but it's just like they it feels like you just don't get enough especially considering that all those models are roughly the same size especially in the the imperial fist one you get a bunch of guys in like 32s and 40s whereas like the other ones yeah you get a bunch like thousand suns you get magnus and you're gonna have this awesome centerpiece model for that like that's I mean, the closest to the Space Marine one would be the Custodes, because, well, Trajan is the same size as all the other Custodes. Mm-hmm. But that one just feels epic. And you get the and jet, you get jet bikes in there, which kind of mix it yeah. up, too. So, it's like, it's even still more interesting than the Imperial Fists one. But anyway, I could go on for a while. I'm not a fan of the Fists box. <laughs> Let's, that, that's just all I'm going to put to it. Okay, moving on, then. Moving on. Uh, we've got a couple more things we want to hit. Um, there's the Miniature of the Year competition. Uh, it's the end of the year. Uh, they've released a bunch of stuff this year. They've kind, they kind of give a highlight of some of the big noticeable releases at various months. And so uh, they've basically put up a SurveyMonkey poll to collect people's information or and not really information. They don't ask you your name or email address or anything. They just want to like, which model do you think is the best one? And yeah. they do kind of show who were the big winner, who were the winners for the last few years. 2016 was Magnus. 20 to 2017 was Mortarian. 2018 was the special edition noise Marine, which <laughs> is kind of funny. Uh, 2019 was Abaddon. Very cool model. 2020 was Gasgol. Which oh, yeah. is is phenomenal. Twenty twenty one was Bellicor, also a really good model. I'd also like to point out I've painted at least two of these, and Richard, you've painted at least no, I've painted three of these models, and Richard, you've painted Gasgol, obviously. Yep. Uh, there, are, so I can like vouch. They're all fantastic models. I needed to paint up that noise marine in yeah. the appropriate I, colors. Yeah. And so they put it to a vote, and they list everything they've released this year. And yeah. It's, a, it's an exhaustive list. When I saw the the thing, I thought, oh, they picked their big model of each month that they released. Okay, centerpiece models. No, when you go in there, every model is there. Because even, like, little little guys, like some of the Voton are on there, or the Voton Land Force. Terrain kits are on there. <laughs> like, really yeah, simple just, terrain kits. The Age yeah. of Darkness launch box for Horus Heresy is in there as an option. It's like, mm, So, I mean, I you know really th- have to either know what, what you're looking for, like you already know, or if you just look through the list, be prepared to look through a lot. And there's not pictures for these, so... Right, you have if, to just know what they look like or go search them out and... yes. But yeah, I guess and I it's was, a good thing they listed everything. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's fair. It's like if if you are a fan of a particular game, you can look for – or a particular faction, you can look for the models they've released for that faction, stuff like that. So they're not curating the list of you can only choose from these. I appreciate that. I think we were 
pretty much in agreement on what we think is the best, although there's definitely a, a, a close felt honorable mention, if nothing else. Because I think we were mostly leaning towards the Avatar of Kane being like the 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 coolest model, at least from a 40k standpoint. I, I can't mean, comment knew, on all the no, fantasy stuff. No, I voted stuff. for that one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that that's what I voted for as well. Although, yeah, I I do think the the golf rocker would would also be in consideration. Yeah, if the golf rocker wins, I'm not I'm not hurt. You know, that's that's <laughs> a fantastic choice. But yeah, the the new avatar uh is just a fantastic re re-envisioning of that model without just being cribbing off of the uh the Forge World version. Uh, it's and having the multiple options for the weapons, the multiple heads, there's ways like customizing an avatar, which is something that's never really been an option, which is very cool. Um, and and go ahead. I'll say for me, it's the details. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the, the things that swirl around him, there are like amulets for every aspect warrior on the model. So that was just one of the little, little details I thought was super cool about it. Yeah, no, there's just, they put a lot of love into that sculpt. Um, I mean, and again, like, I'm looking through the list of all the models they, they released this year, and they include, like, all the Warhammer Underworlds boxes, all, like, the Eldritch Omens box, including all the models that were released specifically for that kit. I mean, kind of all rolled together. Um, it's, there's a lot of options to choose from, but yeah, for me in the end, I like even amongst like there's some nice Age of Sigmar stuff, like the huge uh, like Behemoth King that they released this year, or um, some of the the um, like uh, blah blah blah. Um, some of the night gaunt, like the the night gaunt model that they released, the the guy on the ship. Oh I yeah, I mean that's an awesome model. I'm not going to say it's it's not. Um, so there's just yeah, I'll rock the drowner. That's a fantastic model. But as a 40k player, primarily, I got to go with 40k. And yeah, the the avatar of Kane is is the big winner for me. So I'm I'm curious to see what the results are. I'm I'm hoping it's the Avatar, but there, there's there's some good competition. I just hope it's definitely not the new Demon Prince because I hate that face. <laughs> well, well, Rob, even if Avatar doesn't win, we could give it the preferred enemies um, 40k model of the year. Then there we go. <laughs> I, I think what I, I know we like we talked with Kevin on chat, and it's like yeah, I think we all agreed it was the Avatar was our was our pick for for the best model of the year. Yeah, and two of us have it, and one of us has it painted. I think. Um, I have it. I haven't built it yet. So yeah, right. definitely. So I have it and painted. So there you <laughs> go. Uh, and then finally, um, the last thing we wanted to talk about, uh, 40 K wise was the, the armies on parade. We, we didn't have any hobby progress ourselves. So we're going to piggyback on somebody else's. Uh, <laughs> so like I've painted some age of Sigmar stuff, uh, but no, I haven't worked on anything. 40 K holidays recently. happened. <laughs> holiday, yeah, it's where holidays are going on. Getting getting time to work on anything is hard. Um, but uh, the Army's Parade uh, awards were given out for this year, and um, but yeah, they did they did a whole like online award ceremony, and there are some fantastic 
awards, but we're going to focus on the the best of 40k. Um, so third place goes to Johan. Oh God, I'm going to screw up this name. Kolkier, uh, Johan Kolkier, who has this Eldari like Wraithbone themed board with all the uh, all the models in this like highly textured and detailed like Wraithbone speckle finish coming out of a like a tilted webway gate and yeah it's absolutely phenomenal there's worked in some age of sigmar models as well to just provide ex- extra conversion pieces they've used like the harlequin helmet masks it looks like to put onto the uh like their wraith guard like there's a lot of conversions going on here like I said, use uh, looks like they're using like pieces from like the uh, Gene Steeler Cult Magus, and just like there's a lot of little things going on in this, and it's just it's beautiful in that, but it also not in the way that's like oh, it's all clean and everything. No, it's got like this speckled, almost dirty look to it, but not messy. It's just I mean, really well done. If I didn't recognize a lot of the models as Eldar. I would have taken this for something like Nurgle or something because it has that lot of decay or sandstone type feel to it. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's a really nicely done army. Second place, the display board on this one is phenomenal, uh, and just the layers going on here. Shalge uh, Hu uh, did an orcs army built around. Th- Looks like a, a mech workshop building a stampa. Yeah. It it's pretty nice. Like the the display boards got like a lot of good like walls and like I I think there's like big ed boss bunker stuff and like mech workshop stuff and like there is a lot in here and it, it's all like centered around this, you know, kind of half completed stampa. And like actually seeing the interior of the stampa, uh, it looks like th- there may be actual working lights on several pieces, judging from a couple of the close up pictures. Um, and also just like the, the use of like, really bright primary colors that we see in a lot of orc stuff, like the blue kind of like death skull icons that you see around the bright yellow, like killicans, the big red, uh, stompa. It's like just really bold use of color without looking like ridiculously cartoony. Like it's yeah. just, just really well done. Like the shop floor with the, uh, like the graffiti on one corner is really neat. Like there's just a lot going on in this model. And I wish I could see it close up just to examine all the details. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, Fallmage, uh, it takes first place with a blood angels display board, uh, which does a couple of things that are really neat. First off, this isn't just a, display board that is like a display piece or like like the elder one you can tell that the models are removable because they're all on their individual bases the 
orc one, the orcs are all part of the diorama. This one does something which I really love, and that is having the models in like recessed holes in the board. So when you put them all in, it looks like one cohesive diorama, but then you take them out and you can play with them and then put them back on. But also, this one, while it doesn't quite have as many layers going on as the orc one, the backboard on this one is phenomenal with the half, like cut in half drop pods coming in and then like the little heat bubble around them as they re-enter. The use of uh, Aeronautica like Thunderhawks or Storm Ravens in the background to to represent depth, like field of depth is really neat. There's... Again, really strong use of of bright color for the like the desert ground, and then contrasts nicely with the the bright red blood angels. This one is is another one that's just really cool. There's a lot going on in this piece, but again, I I love like the models are dynamically posed, and yet this looks like an army that could you could take this off this board play with it and then put it back on for display at a tournament and do very very well in the painting competition as well so that one is i i do really like that one i i i don't envy the judges having to pick and we had we don't even see like all the ones that they didn't pick for the top three but i can imagine it was a tough competition yeah i think you guys said that when we had our painting competitions at, at Midwest Conquest as well in the past. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard. It's hard because it comes down yeah. to the very finest details and like, how did they use this versus how did they use that? And like, like I remember one year it was the only reason one of the armies didn't win was because it was like all old metal destroying guard and they looked phenomenal, but it's like, but they're hard to come hard to customize and like this army over here was able to do more customizations and it so it just pulled it up a little bit more but it was still really really good and the other thing i think is neat about these three is we have here an eldar player an orc player and a blood angels player Mm -hmm. see all three of us are covered there you go (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that uh and then there's uh some uh judge awards as well like judge's choice uh there's a really neat uh there's the in the grim darkness of the far future award which uh has assist it's a sisters of silence army with like their black transports and some neat use of like statuary and just looking very very grim dark appropriately uh, there's the Mastering the Arcane Science of Necrodermis Award with a phenomenal Necron Pyramid, like building like an obelisk up top and big swarms of looks like scarabs coming in and a couple of flyers orbiting around. Um, that one is is really good. Yeah, I um, mean, as the first time that I was scrolling through this page, I saw that and like... I was like, oh, I, you know, one of the the Necron pyramids. And then I looked at it again and realized the scale. Mm Mm-hmm. It's huge. Yeah. Like, this thing is tall. Because you have to remember, Armies of Parade has to be on, like, a two-foot-by-two-foot panel. So this thing is probably a good four, five five feet tall. It's huge. 
And then the Power of a Star God in the Palm of My Hand Award goes to this really, it's like, it's not really an Armies on Parade display piece, but it's an awesome Necron display piece with like a Cryptek up top and then like this swarm of scarabs and all these Necron warriors like climbing up towards him and some really neat like object source lighting going on, resin water effects around the base with some of the uh, Necrons like coming out of the water. Like I'm assuming it's like supposed to be like a resurrection orb and all these like dead neck, like deactivated Necrons like waking back up and coming out of the water. It's a really cool display piece. Yeah. And then the Orchimedes disciple award for Mark Ranson, which there's a lot going on in this display piece, and I can't really see all of it from the one photo they they posted. But there's like three or f- there's three layers, and like a couple of layers have different sections and carveaways in them. Um, it does look like it may have been damaged in transport at one point because well, there's actually like some breaking, but that might be intentional. I I actually think. And and this is from the angle of the picture. I think that that uh, right hand side is probably hinged so that oh, it swings okay. out. Oh, which okay. is why there's that gap there. Okay, that would make sense. Which makes it, which makes me really wish they had somebody had taken a picture of it opened up. Right. Yeah. Ah, uh, see now I want to see this one in person, but. I, I imagine swinging out might break the two foot by two foot rule for armies and parades. So right, yeah, it definitely you can tell a couple spots it is wired for lighting inside. Yeah. So yeah, no, that's that's an impressive piece. The one that Shalge uh, Hu did for the orcs, I think, does edge it out just a little bit, but that one is still uh, Mark Ranson's one is still really really good. And so, yeah, there, these, and then the very last one, um, this one, uh, you pointed out, Richard, the We Finally Made It Boss Award for Andrew Park. Yeah, I, this, this one's probably a personal favorite of mine just because it is, it is a, a, a Bad Moons army made with all like Rogue Trader era, like classic orc minis. Mm hmm. Including, including not Gretchen, but Snotling models. Appropriately right next to the shock attack gun, because he's going to need ammo. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, some fantastic armies put out this year. Some, like, you know, kind of finishing up the year uh, with some, like, fantastic celebration of the hot. We've seen celebration of the narrative side of 40K. We've seen some discussion and celebration of the competitive side, the hobby side, looking at, you know, ways to get into an army for the new year. Uh, So this is kind of, I guess, part one. We'll have part two of our our kind of year event, you know, year-end wrap-up. Uh, when we have Kevin back on the show in a couple of weeks, but it's been neat kind of seeing everything that's kind of finishing up the year from Games Workshop uh, this in this episode. Um, as I mentioned, we don't have any hobby progress, and actually we are running out of time, so we won't have a morale phase this time. I, short version, you guys have been playing Pokemon. Yeah, Scarlet both and Richard and I have, have picked up Pokemon, and that's been a small craze. I mean, we played it as kids, and 
the game still is much fun. I had some friends talk me into it, and I'm glad they got me to play yeah. it. Yeah, I, I've still, I've pretty much still just played most of them. I, I missed a, a, a few generations there in the middle, but yeah. Scratches that, you know, collection itch. Yeah, and it's cheaper to collect Pokemon in a game than it is to all the 40k models, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't argue with that. Even if you had to buy a, buy a brand new Switch to play it, still cheaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that's going to finish us up for episode 270. We'll be back in two weeks with episode 271 for our last episode of the year, because after that, it's Christmas and New Year's, and I don't think we'll be recording on those days. But uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Dennis. And Richard. Uh, good night, good gaming, and uh, a good way to wrap up 2022. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve.